Thank you, Chris. <clears throat> I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 15. And just uh, with God's word open before us, let's, um, let's pray for a moment, shall we? Exodus 15. Father, um, open our eyes that we would see wonderful truth in your holy word that reflects your holy character, that teaches us to live in holiness like you are holy. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. What is God's will for my life? I wonder, have you ever thought of that question or thought like that? Maybe you're thinking about what job to apply for, or maybe you're thinking, what course should I apply for at tech, or maybe you're thinking, well, who should I ask on a date, or maybe you're wondering about moving house. What is God's will for my life? And yes, it's right uh, to pray and ask God to lead you as a Christian, uh, to, because to people who do not believe, the question of what is God's will for my life never enters their minds. Uh, so it's certainly good to consider God in your decision-making. But what I want to impress on you in this summer series, a series we're calling Reflect His Image, is that biblically, the better question is not, what should I do? But rather, who should I be? I mean, think about it with me. You could pick uh, the right job, just a perfect job, uh, but be, be lazy at your work or become a workaholic, neither is good, as we talked about in, in most, our most recent series in recent weeks. You could pick uh, the right husband, but nothing he does could, could ever be good enough or he would be nothing compared to that husband down the road who so, seems to be so much better and, uh, and kinder. You could move into the very perfect house for you. God's will for the perfect house, but then you could become obsessed with doing it up uh, to the latest style and then redoing it up again, while all the while uh, you found God's will for your life. Or have you? Or have you? You see, as important as seeking God in the decisions, praying and asking for wisdom and, and big decisions, that there is far more importance to something called your Christian character. Your Christian character is far more important. Something that's much more every day than five or six or a couple of dozen big decisions throughout your life is your Christian character. You see, we think like this. You, you know, we think you know there's A uh, and there's B, and if I if I pick A when I should have picked B, then then my my life is ruined. I, I'm off track completely. There's no blessing for me, and we get into all sorts of a panic. But the reality is. Well, when Paul tells us in Romans 8 that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, I mean, doesn't that mean that no decision is able, has the ability to do that either? Uh, you see, the lack of clear biblical teaching on what job to do, who to date, I mean, there are certain things you would want to know about someone to date, but 
there's no names in there, right? Or, or where to, to, to live. Well, that place is, it places much more weight elsewhere. I mean, of course, we, we pray. We, we seek the counsel of God's word. We seek the counsel of, of, of mature believers that we trust about these things. And, and we obey. But God can work with you in A or B. I mean, God is so sovereign. Do you realize that as you read the Bible? He's so sovereign that, that it should never happen. But he can even work through our sinful choices. Think about Joseph and his brothers. Think about Jesus and his Jewish brothers who sinned and sinned and God, well, he weaves that path of his sovereign will through it, you, you see. But what is clearly God's will for you is who you become. Who you become like. In other words, we're made in God's image. We've talked about this a lot. We're, we're stamped with his mark on us. Every single one of us. But the truth is, as we've been hearing, that the image of God has been defaced in us. It's been tarnished. It's been tarnished by sin. We're, we're still made in, in God's image, but we're like a cracked vase. You know, it's still the vase, but mm, it's not quite as nice on the mantelpiece anymore. Maybe, maybe we need to get it renewed. It's less, isn't it, than it once was. We're not as God originally intended back in the garden, we, we no longer work or worship or, or have fun the way we were intended to. What does it mean to be fully human? What does it mean to be a fully functioning human being? What sort of thing comes into your mind when you think like that? Well, all sorts of things might come into your mind, but the truth is there's only ever been one fully functioning human being since the fall. And his name is Jesus. Everyone else is less. Everyone else is less. Hebrews 1 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You see, you and I have been made in the image of God. But he is the image of God. You hear the difference? You and I have been made in the image of God, but he is the image of God. Colossians 1 verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The thus and the as are important in your Bible, right? He is the image of the invisible God. He ranks number one. He's the only flawless, fully functioning human being there has been since Genesis chapter 2. That's him. You want to be fully human? You need to look at Jesus. He's holy, Jesus. He's sinless, Jesus. He's pure, Jesus. That's what he's like. So let's come back to the question. What is God's will for your life? Famous verse in Romans chapter 8 that everybody knows. Let's have it on the screen, Hannah. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8 verse 28. And, and we say yes I like that verse. And we say that, work those things out God. For, for, for good in my life Lord. And we say grant me success. And help my life choices. And, it'll be, and they'll, they'll work together for good. I want to be on that right path. But do keep, do keep reading. The next verse. For those whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed. 
to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Do you see what it's saying there? God's will is that, is that you change, that whatever else is going on, you change, that you be conformed to the image of someone else, the image of his son. And he's, he's committed to that change, you know that? And he's giving you the power and the wherewithal to make that change happen. You realize that? It's him restoring the image of God, defaced by sin in you. And when we become Christians, God begins that work. But he's not done yet. He's not done yet. This summer, uh, we're looking at ten ways that God restores his image in us. Uh, there, are, there are, of course, aspects of, of the character of holy God that, that we will never attain to and, and shouldn't even try. We talked about them a couple of summers ago. In a series, uh, think about omnipresence, right? We're not omnipresent, you and, you and I, and, and we never will be. Uh, this, this indeed bothers us at times. We, we try to be in two places at once and it doesn't work. And uh, We're not omnipotent, you and I, uh, all-powerful. We're not all-powerful and we, and we never will be. We, we lack power. And what do people with power want? They want more power. There's a sort of, I want to be like God in that, but we never will be. Sovereign. We're not sovereign, you and I, and sometimes we think we are and we can be in control of all these things and yeah, we, we've got that all lined up, we've got all the ducks lined up and then, and then the ducks fall and we're like, I'm not in control. When circumstances take the remote control off us, we remember that we're not sovereign. And there are others, other attributes we call them, that are not shared by created beings like you and me. But there are some aspects of, of God's character that we are to imitate. And the first of those that we're looking at today is holiness. Holy God. Exodus 15. Look at verse number 11. Uh, come back to your Bible there with me. Acts 15, verse number 11. The children of Israel have just literally crossed the Red Sea, right? Uh, it's, it's happy days, and, and Moses breaks into song, as people sometimes do when they're happy. You see them on the football pitch, yeah, or on the football stands. And right in the middle of that, he utters these words, verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Just one verse, lots in there. God is holy. That means God is sinless. He does not sin. He cannot sin. If he did, he would cease to be God in that moment. He cannot allow the sin of those around him in his presence. God is holy. He's, he's pure. God is pure in his motives. Moses says he is awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. His actions are holy. You say, you say, I can, I can manage good deeds. Now and then, yeah, and yes, we can. Yes, we can. Perhaps, uh, I don't know, you've brought um, flowers home for your good wife on your way home from work. And that, uh, yeah, certainly appears to be a lovely, kind, and purely loving thing to do. I recommend that, yes. But if it so happens there's a football match on that night that you're desperately keen to watch with your mates around the house and she's got other plans, 
Maybe it's not such a pure motive thing to do after all. Or maybe you've bought your husband or a man in your life uh, something nice from your shopping trip. Of course, that's a nice thing to do. However, if it transpires that you've maxed out the credit card basically on yourself, and this is a kind of like a peace offering to soften the blow, then, then, then your motives aren't exactly, aren't exactly pure. Helping someone in need is great. It's a great thing to do. But not so you can tell everyone on your Insta stories or on Facebook. That's, that's self-serving, isn't it? That's not pure. You see, even when you or I do good things, it's often and frequently tainted. And maybe we don't realize it until we think, think about it, maybe a, a little deeper. Tainted by the sin that still lurks in each of us. Because, you see, sin is so insidious, it, it gets everywhere that it often surprises us. But God... But God, you see, he's pure in his motives. He only does glorious deeds. He's got no sort of back motive that kind of wants to do this. No, no, he's pure. Moses sings that he is majestic in holiness. It's part of his majesty. It's part of his royal splendor. God is the king. People flock, don't they, to see the king or the queen or the princess because of, of, of majesty. That kind of, yeah, that just that, yeah, it's, 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 she's majestic, they would say. It's part of his appeal, God. Part of his draw to us. His majesty is bound up in his holiness, Moses sings. His white purity. Compared to a world ruined by sin, he is so very pure. He is whiter than white. And in a world where we're surrounded by sin, where, where even good deeds, well, often sin lies in them somewhere, well, that, doesn't, that, doesn't that increase our appreciation for the one who is, who is truly God? The holy, holy, holy God of Isaiah chapter 6 where the, the angels, they, they call to one another to worship him and they encourage one another to worship him like, like we do in church. Someone has well said, it causes us to gaze and wonder at him as we begin to comprehend just a little of his majesty. You see, trying to talk about God's holiness is like trying to go outside and stare at the sun on a, on a cloudless day. You just can't really do it. It'll burn you up. It'll, it'll blind your eyes. But you can do it just a little. God's holiness is so striking that it's used in the Bible to qualify many of his other characteristics and attributes. It's all throughout the book of Isaiah. God is described as holy in glory, holy in power, holy in righteousness. Holiness is God's defining characteristic. It's, it's like a catch-all for much of, of God's character and being. God is holy. Moses asks the question, doesn't he? Who is like you? O Lord, among the gods. It's one of those questions that doesn't really need answering. He's not really asking you to answer him, is he? H Hannah, in her, in her prayer in, in 1 Samuel 2, she actually sounds like she is answering him. Listen to what Hannah says. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Who is like you, O Lord? Well, no one, no God. 
Certainly not a fake god, like an idol made of wood or gold, and of course that's going to be needed. The truth is, the truth be told, that's going to sadly be needed in a few chapters' time when Moses comes down from the mountain and finds the children of Israel bowing to a, to a calf that is made of gold and, and Aaron has made it for the people. And do think about Sinai when you think about the holiness of God. That's a really good biblical picture because there's thunder, there's lightning, there's thick smoke. You can't touch the mountain. Uh, you can't go up there to God. You're not allowed. Only Moses is allowed to go. Only the middleman is allowed to go. Who is like God? No one. No God. God's holiness is, is, is more than just his, his uh, purity, his sinlessness. It's, it's, it's also the essence of his otherness. That, he, that he's other. His, his holiness is, is something else, in other words. It's, he is something. He's someone else. Holiness is what makes him set apart and different. For that, we have a, a big theological word that I don't expect the children to write down. It's transcendence. That's what that means. His, his otherness, that he's different from... He's the creator, and we're the creation. And there's a big gap between those two in, in, in many ways. He comes by his presence to that mountain, Sinai, and the people aren't allowed up. He's higher. He, he's holy. He, he's separate. So he's up there, and we are down, down here. A good way to think about God's holiness is to think along these lines. For God to be holy means that unless God makes it so, there is no one and nothing like him in any way. That's good, isn't it? For God to be holy means that unless God makes it so, there is no one and nothing like him in any way. That, that's, that's a serious distance, right? It's also a serious requirement for someone else to be holy. That's good, isn't it? Holy God. Secondly, holy transaction. So what can be done? He's up there in all his holiness, separate in his majestic holiness and purity, and we're all down here in a world ruined by sin and, and indeed contributing, if, if we're honest. But of course, that's where, that's where Jesus, the middle man, comes in, the untainted image bearer. Let's turn to Hebrews 10 and have a look at this verse. Hebrews 10. Hebrews is a very Old Testament book in the New Testament. Here we're talking about offerings. We're talking about sacrifices. And verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 10, we read this. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Hebrews 10, verse 10. Sanctified in this verse, uh, you heard this already too, means being made holy. We're being taught here that, that it's possible, it's possible for you and I to be made holy. To be made in some way like God. Holy. Now it's not, by, it's not by clearing up our lives. Removing one or two bad habits. Walking in the clean side of the street. It's not through pure effort on our account. That, that, that's no good. That's like trying to clean up the pigsty with a toothbrush. It doesn't work. You're getting nowhere fast. Waste of time. 
No progress is made by listening to the evil one. Do you remember what what the devil said to, to Eve in the Garden of Eden? He said, you can be like God. Remember? He's going to give her a way to be like God. But of course, he lies. <laughs> the, the way doesn't make Eve like God. It makes her and Adam further from God. Same idea, be like God, but, but actually makes them further away and not closer. No, no, it's, it's, only, it's only an act of Christ that does this. That's, that's what this verse makes very clear. Being sanctified through the offering of Jesus Christ. And, and as we said, it's only possible for something or someone to be made holy if holy God makes it so. And that's what's happening. That's precisely the case here. Through the offering of, of the body of Jesus Christ, God is making it so. Holy God makes some people holy by this, this incredible transaction that we're, we're, we're having described to us. Offering his sacrifice language by his sacrifice for sins, Jesus Christ on the cross makes people holy. How serious is sin? I mean, all those thousands of animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament, and then the beloved son still has to come and pay the bill. How serious is sin? How big is the distance between holy God and unholy us? Those sacrifices were just a pointer. They were just a temporary covering. And then the real thing comes. And this is the real thing. This is permanent. What happens? He, he sanctifies them, we read. He makes them holy in God's sight. He covers them by his righteousness, his perfect life, his perfect example of proper humanity. Proper humanity. Live before God in obedience. A fully-fledged human being is Jesus Christ. And, and he... His record becomes our record. We're not holy ourselves. But in that moment, we're counted as holy. Paul's very clear about this. I don't know if you've ever played Connect Four. Um, that's a game where you have to get uh, four uh, counters in a row. Uh, it's uh, red counters and yellow counters. And um, I don't know if you've ever had this game and lost one of your counters. I, this has happened to me. And um, maybe you lose a, a red counter and you have, have to use a yellow one with a big red dot in the middle. And the, the point is, it, it's not a red counter. It's still yellow, but it's, 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 it's being counted as a red counter. And so you can play the game with your missing counter because you're counting a yellow one as a red. And that's something like we're talking about. It's not actually a red counter. <laughs> It's not actually holy. It's just being counted as holy because it's being covered by another. It's being covered by the blood of another. There's a, there's a one-offness about this transaction that we talk about. It's a, it's a once-for-all. It's an offering uh, that when we're saved once-for-all, we're made definitively holy at the point of conversion, once-for-all. We're permitted into God's presence, and, and when Jesus dies on the cross, he declares it's finished because it was and because it is holy transaction. Finally, holy conduct. But is that it? It's definitive. It's once for all, you said. It's, it's done at the moment of conversion. Is that it? Are we done and dusted? Well, not if you listen to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's turn there. 
forward a few pages in our Bible. A couple of books to 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to pick up from verse number 13. All of it isn't on the screen, but we're going to read from verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1. And there we read, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. That's the key verse, boys and girls, by the way. Verse 15. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter's writing to the church here. You realize that? He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to, to the church, those already made holy once for all uh, in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They're converted. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. But he doesn't just let them sit. He prepares them for action. Isn't that the way he writes it? We're not just converted and left to it by God or by his word. You see, God has so made things to be. He has so ordained things that, that after we're converted, there is the need for change in each of us. God still at work in each of us. Having been, uh, having been at work in saving us, he's at work in making us, conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus. He's at work in that, that work of transformation. There, there, there's lots of instruction in this little passage, isn't there? Preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, setting your hope fully on the grace to come. There, there, there's lots of instruction, things to do as God enables, but also things not to do. Do not be conformed to the passions of your past. We are no longer to be conformed. Very important word, conformed. Again, we, we talked about this a moment ago, but we're not to be conformed to what we were like before. That broken image, that sin-defaced image of God, and all that that entails. What, what, what he or she's like, you know? That, that broken, former passions of the past guy or girl. You know, you remember her? You remember him? Instead, instead, we are to be conformed to the image of his son. We are to be holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Because he who called you is holy, you shall also be holy in your conduct. Just as he who called you is holy. Just as God is holy, so we be holy in our conduct when people that matter see us. Just as God is holy, so we be holy in our conduct when we're, when, just when we're dealing with Christians. Just as he, God is holy, so we be holy in our conduct when we come through the church doors. No, that's not what it says. Look what it says. You also be holy in all your conduct. All your conduct. All. It's hard to argue with a little word all, isn't it? There's a separateness to this holy too that we're talking about. You know, a sort of distinctness from the world around us. God's people are to live and act as imitators of God's character, which is, which is separate and different from the way the world around us lives. 
is separate and different from the way we used to live before we were Christians. It's also separate and different from the way people currently live in the world around us who aren't Christians. There are, there are TV shows that we just wouldn't watch. There are websites we, w- we won't open. There are links we won't click. There are words we w- just wouldn't say. There are cheats we wouldn't employ. There are lines we wouldn't cross. And there are ways of behaving that we just don't do. Because that's what the word all means. All your conduct. That's character, isn't it? That's not just six or seven or half a dozen big decisions for your life. That, that, that's, that's every day. That's, that's all the time. There's no off duty to that. You can't clock out of that one. You can't. You're just on duty. You're a Christian. Holy conduct all the time. Because when you consider, when you consider the one who called you, when you consider God, as Peter states, when you gaze at the king in all of his beauty, when you think of what, he, what he's done, when, when you're finished gazing at him in all of his beauty, right? Take, take a long time at that, but whenever you've, whenever you've done that, and it's going to take you a long time, but then just think about what he's done after that. Think about what he's done. When you understand the gospel... When you grasp the amazing gospel, how how guilty, hell-deserving, unholy sinners have been taken out of the muck and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, then why would you want to return to the muck? Why would you? When you consider the one who saved you from Babylon, that's a good biblical picture of it, isn't it? Why would you want to go back to Babylon? Why? How God most holy has saved a people for himself... And you're one of them? How pure, brilliant, white God has taken you as his own child when you realize that you are being delivered from the one thing that can completely destroy you? Why would you not want to live for God and imitate the man Christ Jesus, the God-man? Why would you not? That's what Peter's on about in his second letter when he uses that very interesting phrase. We become partakers of the divine nature. He's talking about holiness. He's talking about Christ-likeness. He's talking about the fact that we in some way can become like God. Don't underestimate God. He's, he's incredible. He's glorious. He's something else. He's holy. The thick smoke on Sinai, the seriousness of sin, that, that because it required all of those thousands and thousands of animal sacrifices to cover temporarily and still required the sun. And out of an understanding of that transaction that's taken place, where we're counted holy in Christ once for all, out of an appreciation of it, Two, out of a love for the one who first loved us, we conduct ourselves in holiness. Yes, we're not there yet. There's still work to be done. Work in progress. You can put a big sign across your, uh, your, the room of your bedroom or this, the door of your bedroom. Work in progress because that's what you are. When you sing, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee, well, you aren't meant to be lying through your teeth, of course. And you also aren't meant to be super confident, thinking, oh, yeah, I got this one. But you are, along with the rest of us, meant to be, by God's grace and power, aiming at that change, aiming 
at that beautiful picture of Jesus that we're becoming by God's grace. And the good news is God is committed to making this happen. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for the one that we come to. You're perfect. There is no taint in you. There is no imperfection in you. You are thrice holy. And that defines all of who you are, even though our minds can't even begin to grasp it. And in Jesus, you have once and for all made us good enough to be in your presence. And then you continue that work in changing us by your Holy Spirit day by day, going to work on our Christian character, going to work uh, on that um, building site of our lives that's, that's one day going to look like your son, the Lord Jesus, the Holy One of heaven. Give us that grace and power to make it happen. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.